Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good evening. From Coolidge, Arizona, January the 30th, 2020. Um, We welcome those to the broadcast. Um, As we resume our studies, we were uh, off last week, but we are resuming our studies uh, this this, uh, Thursday evening in 1 Peter, Chapter 4, about the 12th verse, uh, we left off in uh, verse 11, I believe, two weeks ago. Now, chapter 4 in 1 Peter starts out with the reminder of the sufferings of Christ Jesus, which is a theme through this letter by the Apostle Peter, and how those in Christ will also share in his suffering in this world. But those who have suffered in the flesh on account of the Savior 
have done with sin is the phrase as young trans, uh, as young's translation puts it uh and of course that thought uh is the apostolic message concerning the putting off of sin in Christ through um through the gospel, through the obedience to the gospel, the terms of pardon, uh, through our baptism into Christ. And then comes the sufferings as we share with our Lord. Um, as these people of the first century uh, were certainly doing. Now remember, this letter was written about 63 A.D. So we only had a few short years, as a matter of fact, three years, uh, before the war started in Jerusalem between uh, the Roman soldiers, the Roman government in the area, and the uh, various divisions or sects of Jews three uh, very strong ones, but it was Bedlam. And uh, 70 A.D. being the the end of the war, as, as it would be as far as uh, General Titus coming through and capturing the city. And of course, much was done after that. But <clears throat> that's the time frame. Um seems very close. So the urgency and the things said in this letter are things said that you want people to know uh, that are living and you're expecting them to be uh, aware of these things when they actually happen. Now, to the Christian, the excesses of the world have come to an end. In, in other words, the worldly living, the uh, excesses of all sorts that are um, disastrous to the to the body and to the mind and to the soul. Uh, the dissoluteness of living as the pagans lived is not a part of the assemblies of Christ. And it never was uh, there was all sorts of moves towards this dissoluteness uh, time after time, uh, but things always came back as the teaching was understood and dealt with. And the world of men thought it strange that Christians should, should act in a godly way with self-control. Because remember, some of these folks they had known for a long time, and they lived as the world lived, as the pagans lived. But now, as Christians, they had changed their their in their nature. Their nature now was the nature similar to their Lord, rather than to the um, dissoluteness of the people of the area. The apostle also, in this chapter, is re reminds the readers of his epistle that of all things the end 
hath come nigh. That's the phrase used by Young. Of all things has the, uh, has the end come nigh. The Lord is also, another phrase, ready to judge the living and dead. This has occurred to that generation, as we talked about before. Uh, they were expecting it. The apostle was announcing it and certainly expecting it. And the Lord expected it also within that generation. Now, that's a review of the fourth chapter, but in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, we are going to return to the subject of suffering uh, for, the, for righteousness' sake. Because that's how a Christian suffers when they're suffering for the, for, the, for the name of the Lord or for being a Christian or for not denying the Lord, things of this sort. So in 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 12 through 14. And it starts off with um, the, the phrase, Beloved. And, of course, this is how the apostles addressed the assembly and the brethren. Beloved, think it not strange at the fiery sufferings among you that is coming to try you, as if a strange thing were happening to you. But according as you have fellowship with the sufferings of the Christ, rejoice ye that also in the revelation of his glory you may rejoice, exalting. Verse 14, If you be reproached in the name of Christ, happy are ye, because because the spirit of the glory and of God upon you doth rest in regard indeed to them, that is, those of the world. He is evil spoken. He is evil spoken of. And in regard to you, he is glorified. Well, all of this has to do with the Lord himself, the established assemblies and the church, the kingdom of Christ in the world in that day, and of course those that lived within that kingdom, and the treatment that they received. This message of the suffering for the name of Christ Jesus was a very familiar theme of all of the New Testament writings, from Jesus to his apostles to start with, Let's read a couple things that fit in here. In other words, how Jesus spoke to his apostles. Matthew 24, verses 9 and 10, right after he starts to explain to them all the things that they will see because they ask the question, when is, what is the sign of your presence and the end of the age? So he's telling them. So in verses 9 and 10, he says this, to them, the apostles, of course, then they 
shall deliver you up to tribulation and shall kill you, and you shall be hated by all the nations because of my name. And then shall many be stumbled, and they shall deliver up one another and shall hate one another. And on it goes after that, describing the, the nature of, the, of the, the times. Also in Acts chapter 1, uh, just before the ascension, what does Jesus say to the apostles here? Verse 7 and 8, first chapter. And he said unto them, It is not yours to know the times or seasons that the Father did appoint in his own authority. See, that was an answer to a question I asked. You know, such as, will you restore now the kingdom of Israel back to the Jews? Well, no. Um, But it wasn't for them to know anyway. Even the Lord didn't know when that day would come. But in verse 8, You shall receive power at the coming of the Holy Spirit upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the end of the earth. Now, as we've talked many times, that word witness there, you shall be witness to me, means that you will be a martyr unto me and my name in everywhere that he mentioned. So there was an understanding. Also, the Lord's apostles spoke these things to the brethren uh, according this. Uh, And let's just look at one verse here. Of course, it's all through the epistles, but uh, let's read in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And Jesus saying here to the church in Rome, For I reckon that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory about to be revealed in us. Now, I don't know if that about to be is mellow in the Greek. Maybe we should check that. Um About to be should be good enough for us, but um, yeah, which shall, yeah, the mellow is in there. Meaning, of course, at hand, soon, quickly, all of the different words that we could add to the thinking. What they heard is soon, soon, these things will be revealed. Uh, The Lord will be revealed. That's what they heard. But the the sufferings of the present time, you see, that was the state that they lived in. Now, that's verse 12. Now, let's look at verse 13. Because verse 13 is talking about having fellowship with the sufferings of the Christ that they should rejoice, that also in the revelation of his glory you may rejoice, exulting. Let's look at a little uh, the account of when that actually is going to happen in Second Thessalonians, the first chapter. 
And if you don't know about these verses, you need to write them down because uh, these are the things that make it so clear. Starting with verse 3, reading through 10, the apostle is giving the church there kind of a uh, blow-by-blow report on how things are going to be. You see, they... They, were, they had been punished, they had been persecuted. And he says, we, that is the apostles, ought to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, as it is meant, because increase greatly doth your faith and abound doth the love of each one of you uh, all to one another, so that we ourselves do in you do glory in you in the assemblies of God for your endurance and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you you bear. A token of the righteous judgment of God for your being counted worthy of the reign of God for which also you suffer. Since It is a righteous thing with God to give back to those troubling you trouble. Now there's the verse where, of course, God is the one that gives retribution, not not man. And to you who are troubled, rest with us in the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with messengers or angels of his power. You see, that's an invitation. Uh, that's a proclamation that some of the brethren would rest with the apostles in the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven. In other words, when this occurs, and he, of course, coming, returning with his angels of his power in flaming fire, giving vengeance to those not knowing God, and to those not obeying the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is the gospel, who shall suffer justice, destruction, eternally or age during, from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his strength, when he may come to be glorified in his saints and to be wondered at in all those believing, because our testimony was believed among you in that day. Our testimony is the apostolic preaching of the gospel of Christ, was believed among the brethren in that day. And that day, you see, is the day where he's talking about glory in that day, glory in the, in the nearness of that day, because... It is upon them at that time that you, having fellowship with Christ in his sufferings is one thing, but it brings rejoicing unto the Christian, the saint, so that you may exult in his name. For Jesus returned, as we call it, in the parousia, the presence of Christ, in power from heaven to do the bidding of his Father that had been promised from 
the Old Testament's forward. Now, the verse, verse 14 begins with this, this phrase. If you be reproached in the name of Christ. You see, there, there's the qualifier uh, to everything uh, that the apostle's talking about. Being reproached in the name of Christ. This is the teaching. Um, and it's... Um, it is your suffering because the world hates the Lord. Not because they just hate you for no reason. Um, they hate you because you stand on his name. You are faithful to him. So many, you may be reproached because of that. And that action, um, that action is, isn't... Uh, a time to hang your head, it's a time to pick your head up and rejoice. And it goes on, then, blessed are you, and blessed here uh, is the word uh, that is translated happy many times. Um, um, it, it's not the other word for blessed that is eulogy or well spoken of. But this one is really means content, settled in your spirit are you. See, that's a position to live in. That's a place to live as a Christian. That's a blessed place to be, content. You see, contentment makes these persecutions bearable, and it causes you to continue and to strive, even though you're being um, um Persecuted, because and here's the 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 idea: because the glory, the glory, the power, and the spirit of God rests upon you. See, that's your condition. That's your place. Um, that's the state that you live in as a child of God. The world may speak evil of Christ the apostle says, but through your steadfastness in Christ, he is glorified. That's, uh, that's easier said, of course, than experienced. Uh, we, we understand that suffering is suffering. It wouldn't be suffering if it wasn't uncomfortable and uh, wasn't a hardship. But to think about the fact that in reality, um, in reality, the Lord is being glorified through your actions. I think that's a real blessing in itself, to know that. You see, that's the point. What the apostle is saying in this letter is to inform them of things maybe they had forgotten, maybe they hadn't heard. Just think about that. This this is a real this is a comforting thing to read when you are being persecuted. Um, you know, we can apply it to other situations in life. This one being, of course, the most the most uh, grave as far as as life goes, living. He goes on in this vein, but 
being more specific yet, in uh, chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. And here's what Peter says. He kind of turns the corner just a little bit and gives you some more information that you really need to know. He says, For let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or as an inspector into other men's matters In other words, don't call it persecution for the Lord if it's you. You see, that's the point. Verse 16, And if as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, and let him glorify God in this respect, because it is the time of the beginning of the judgment from the house of God, and, is for, and, and if first from us, what the end of those disobedient to the good news of God, that is the gospel of Christ from God. You know, these uh, definite uh, articles here are important. The beginnings of the judgment. In other words, the judgment spoken about all through Scripture and, and the beginnings of that, that's why that definite article belongs there. And I know some of our translations have omitted it. Um, but we need to understand, uh, it elevates the word in our understanding. Again, Suffering for your lawlessness is not the means to bring credit to the Lord Jesus. In fact, as we know, bad acts amongst the body of Christ bring shame upon the name of Christ. We know this, but sometimes we forget. And it seems to be about the worst thing that that can happen. Notice also in this verse, the Apostle Peter makes a clear charge against Christians sticking their nose into another's business. This is unlawful in God's eyes. All I can say to that is, wow. We need to hear it. And we probably need to hear it again because, you know, this occurs sometimes, um, it seems innocent at the beginning, but it becomes, it becomes an unlawful act if we're not careful. And we need to be, um, need to be paying attention to uh, things that we need to. But as far as imposing ourselves on others, um, that that we have to be careful of because at the end of the day, what's going to happen? More shame will be brought upon Christ because of the actions of Christians, one one to the other. These things are important or the apostle wouldn't, wouldn't be speaking of them. In verse 16, we avoid being lawless in men's eyes For as you live peaceable in this world, you will not be ashamed. 
the, that's a formula for for that that blessed uh, way of living, that content, settled in spirit way of living. And, and if, as a Christian, in other words, if you are persecuted as a Christian, uh, let not yourself be ashamed. So we avoid being lawless in men's eyes. In other words, actually breaking the laws of men. And God opposes us if we do so. You will not be ashamed if you do things in the in the way that the Lord has commanded us through his apostles. And in this, it also brings glory to the name of God. Why is that good? Well, that allows men to marvel over God and the things that he has brought into the world. Uh, sometimes that's what it takes to turn someone's head. Um, because the motivation just isn't there. But when they see things like this, when they see people acting in a way that typically people wouldn't act, they want to know why. In verse 17, he gets into something a little more specific. And, of course, he's been mentioning this all through this letter, this idea of uh, the nearness of the judgment. Because it says, because it is the time. Uh, it is the time. And of the beginning, the beginning of the judgment. So that's what it's for. This beginning, this time, is for judgment. You know, the Jewish people understood all through the years that when the Messiah was given unto the Jews and he performed his work as the Messiah, that judgment was soon to come upon the covenant people, uh, the those from uh, that, that had the promise of Abraham, that had the law of Moses, and that lived that those many years in that condition. When the Messiah came, it was it was the end of the age, as the apostles understood. The Messiah was there, the end of the age, and judgment. And the Apostle Peter says, first, the house of God. Now, who's the house of God? Well, the house of God is, is the Jews, of course. But, you know, judgment doesn't mean uh, uh, bad judgment. Judgment also can be very good judgment. Reward. But for the house of God would come reward and punishment according to the actions that were uh, very clear and seen in the book of life. And then he goes on to say um, what the end of those disobedient to the gospel. Those disobedient to the gospel. And we just read about that, didn't we, in Second Thessalonians, the first chapter. 
Those that know not the gospel and reject God will be punished severely in the parousia of Christ. Now, how do we know that this was soon to be at hand and and all of the different things that we've been saying? Because when we look at what the Lord said himself about these times, we look at Matthew 19, uh, about verse 27. Matthew 19, 27. And they, they had been talking to Jesus about the rich young ruler. He had told them how hard it was to enter into the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> and Peter says in verse 27, Then Peter answering said to him, Lo, we did leave all and follow thee. What then shall we have? And Jesus said to them, now Peter spoke, but all the apostles were there listening. Verily I say to you, <clears throat> excuse me, verily I say to you that you who did follow me in the regeneration, by the way, that is the time of the parousia, in the regeneration, and in Revelation, that's the, re, the creation of all things new. All right? Uh, chapters 20 and 21, 22 of Revelation. In the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit upon a throne of his glory, shall sit you also upon 12 thrones, judging who? The twelve tribes of Israel. You know, I lived a lot of years as a Christian not not understanding what that meant. But it's giving you an idea of, of a scene that the Apostle John saw in heaven. He saw that with his own eyes. So, Let's go on and read. Is it the last? Uh, yeah. Verse 29. Um, well, 27 and 28, I think, is not what I had. And 30, okay. And Jesus goes on and says, And everyone who left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wives or children or fields for my name's sake, a hundredfold, hundredfold shall receive, and life age during shall inherit. That is, a life without end. They will inherit. And many shall be last, and many first shall be last, and last first. Of course, that phraseology Jesus uses a number of times in the uh, parables and things of that sort. Just so, when things fall into into line and, and come to come to pass, as he has said, uh, that some will not be confused or think there's something amiss. Now that's why uh, that we say these things concerning uh, the judgment time of judgment. Jesus on his throne. Uh, 
and the 12 apostles on theirs. The time of judgment, you see, first for the house of God. First for them. There comes a time of judgment for everyone else too. But not at this time. Not, not first. That follows. Now, this is reference to the Lord's judgment. And how do we know it's the Lord's? Because Acts 17, verse 31 The Apostle Paul says this in his sermon on Mars Hill uh, that I'm sure was very hard for them to understand. But he said, because he did, that is God, did set a day in which he is about to judge the world in righteousness by a man he did ordain, having given assurance to all, having raised him out of the dead. Now, who do you suppose that is? That is the Lord himself, the Son of God. He is about to. In other words, we have the time statement there. He is about to is not 500 years, 1,000, 2,000, or however many that the theologians of today want to put on the end of this. The Greek text will not allow them to do so, because the words mean things, to quote Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> words have great meaning when they're put together in, in a way that the grammar must be followed, the, the words mu must be understood and maintained and not just removed or run over, like you run over uh, a frog with a bus because that's how the Bible is approached many times. This, All of this is in reference to the Lord's parousia, or presence, as it's stated in Matthew 24 and, and a number of other places in, in the New Testament. The Lord's parousia. And this is also spoke of in both the Old Testament by the prophets and the New Testament in the life time of those of that generation. When was that generation? Well, when Peter wrote this, it was A.D. 63. But Jesus speaking before that, around A.D. 30 or 31, I think probably closer, he said this in Matthew 16, and it's recorded, verse 27 and 28. Jesus said, uh, to those listening, for the Son of Man is about to come in the glory of his Father with his messengers, and then he will reward each according to his work. Verily I say to you, there are certain of those standing here who shall not taste of death till they may see the Son of Man coming in his reign. And I believe the word coming there is the word, the verb, uh, used in, in a proper way as, as the eye of the action. Yeah, erkamai, er right. Present and middle, middle voice, the action of the Lord, the Lord's movement towards this state, state spoken of here. So do you see why we we understand 
that when the generation is spoken up to, to those that are standing in front of the Lord or in front of the apostles, that we can't stretch it out for thousands of years. This was at hand, and that's why Peter is so diligent in his, his writing here. This is at hand and needs to be understood. It's also an encouragement, a very, very strong encouragement to those that are suffering at the hands of the, uh, the Jews who are so upset that believe not the Messiah, and also by the pagans of that day of whatever stripe they were, uh, idolaters or, or what have you. There was much persecution towards the Christian, and it was, uh, it was hard to live with. And this was a great encouragement, because at hand, for them, these things were going to be dealt with. As, as it says in Thessalonians, that God will bring trouble to those who have troubled you. And that they should not be concerned about that. The last two verses in this chapter, as he kind of um, sums this up, because in chapter 5 that we're going to start next, next uh, time that we meet, uh, we're, we're talking more about the, the body and, and the assembly and the people in it. But here he says in verse 18 and 19, And if the righteous man is scarcely saved, the ungodly and sinner, where shall he appear? So that also those suffering according to the will of God as to a steadfast creator, let them commit their own souls in good doing. And here we have the appropriate word good being used in, in a way that we should appreciate because it certainly means exactly that good. Um, good, godly things. But in verse 18, it's clear that without the gospel of Christ as a part of a person's life, who, what they become through that gospel, how they obey those terms that God has set for man, both the Jew and then the Gentile. This is God's plan. We can, if you want to use the word grace, you can. Grace meaning basically the will of God for salvation. Um, we can say, uh, I don't like to use the word free gift because I see nothing free about the purchase of salvation for mankind. I see an, an, an extreme cost. So I think we need to stop using all of that terminology and, and correct it in a way that... that that shows the, the real beauty of it and the workings of God. Truly, uh, the grace of God is the, the favor of God, of course. Uh, did God have to save man? No. But all through the Bible we find that he wants to. He wants to. He wants to solve the, the sin issue. 
And he wants man to be a participant in solving that sin issue by his own, uh, by his own uh, decision-making abilities. In other words, he must reach out and seek God for salvation. He will not be kidnapped and drug away to be saved in heaven. Somehow those things don't seem to really fit too well. So without the gospel of Christ, there is no hope for the man or woman. And where shall he appear? Well, he'll appear in, in, at the judgment seat in front of God, and your name will not be in the book. To live and to be punished eternally or time without end with Satan and his angels and those that have turned their back on God. And then in the last verse, do not tire of doing good. I, I kind of shorten it to that. Um, because God knows that there's going to be suffering and persecution for being his person, for being a follower, believing in his word, doing things his way trying to think as he thinks, and trying to do the things that he would do. That's going to cause suffering. Um, Maybe the suffering is just that uh, you're not appreciated or well-liked like some others who seem to do all sorts of bad things, and yet everyone loves them. Um, I don't know what kind of suffering. There's all sorts of suffering in this world but do not tired of uh, tire of doing good works or words there's lots of things to do and there's lots of things to say and i think the apostle is making it very close very uh, clear here rather that uh, committing our souls to doing that um, we do so by finding uh, godly works to be involved in, and certainly godly words to be sharing and proclaiming amongst the world we live in. So that will be the lesson for this evening, the end of chapter 4 in 1 Peter. We start in chapter 5 next time, as I said, and here we're going to get some clarification about the assembly, uh, the people in it. And Every time I read these uh, verses in chapter 5, I think, you know, (laughs) that's what's missing. We're just not following the way that we should, uh, the things that we've been taught. Nonetheless, we will go over them again and see what is to be said. And then we can uh, consider going to 2 Peter that was written about a year later, maybe a year and a half. Uh, Time was much, much closer to the end. Things were much, much worse in a lot of ways. And and we have some extremely interesting teachings in 2 Peter. Um, A lot of it uh, lines up fairly well with what we read in uh, Jude uh, in some of the comments. So until we meet again, let us pray. We thank you, Father, for this time. We have been granted. Continue with us, Father, as we are busy about your your work. 
and the things to do within the kingdom. Be with us now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.